Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And as we had prayer requests and felt the weight of them, afterward, we, we prayed and then we just sang praises to God. You know, the Bible says to sorrow not as others which have no hope. That does not mean we do not have sorrow, but we always have something to rejoice in. In the Lord Jesus Christ. With, with all that goes on. And that is from the unexplainable love and mercy and grace of our God. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. We're going to talk about prayer tonight. This is a prayer of Paul. That's obviously the word of God. That he was led of the Holy Spirit in the writing to include. You know, I heard a testimony about a preacher one time. And he was going through a great season of sorrow in his life. He had suffering that was overwhelming like he had never experienced before. And he said... What helped him the most and gave him peace during that time was reading Paul's prayers. And this was one of the prayers that he would read. It, it's, it's a beautiful prayer and we're going to learn a lot from this prayer. It's the second prayer in this book. A prayer was recorded in Ephesians chapter 1, and now we have another one that we find in verses 14 through 21. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, World without end. Amen. After reading that prayer this week, it made me want to talk about prayer for a minute. I hope I always pray much, but I don't preach much on prayer. I'll just be honest with you. 
I find it hard to talk about sometimes. Pastor Stone does a great job and I learn from him, but, but I find it difficult to preach on prayer. Not so difficult to talk about for a few minutes after knowing what's going on here and, and going through this with Paul as he's writing to Ephesus and all we're learning of Ephesus and, and all that we're going through and the mystery that's been revealed. And now Paul praying for them just makes me want to talk about prayer for a minute as we get started and study this prayer because there is a desperation for prayer for God's people. Prayer must be a priority in our lives. We're not going to be successful Christians without it, without it being continual in our lives. We're not going to persevere without a prayer life. We're just not going to hold up. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Looks like we're going to do one or the other as children of God. And we're in desperate need of prayer. We are going to experience spiritual, mental, emotional fatigue without prayer in our lives. We must bow the knee before we rise to serve. We're, you know, in our humanity, in our flesh, we're all about doing and and, and we really can't do in the Lord's work, in the Lord's church, uh, in the flesh. It's, it's a spiritual work. But we can so easy, easily try to uh, digress to that and, 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 and try to do a spiritual work by natural means. And it doesn't work. Many things, as we all know, will try to distract us from prayer. There may even be that we don't stop and take time for prayer simply sometimes. We just don't make time for it. And, and we just start to lose this understanding of how important it is and how much we need it. And we're going to see this tonight with Paul. We're inviting additional struggle into our lives if our prayer life is not where it ought to be. In Jeremiah 33, 3, the Lord's words are, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call unto me. We are invited into relationship deeper and continual and one way is by way of prayer and it's a must it's a must in our lives maybe there's testimony here of someone who has actually said yes I remember a time in my life where my prayer life was weak and it it spilled over into my everyday life as a child of God we will not live we will not worship, we will not serve as the Lord intends without a life of unceasing prayer, calling on Him and depending on Him. Let's look at the difference with prayer 
as Paul starts here in verse, verses 14 and 15. Now, now it says, for this cause, those are the first three words of verse 14. That ties us to what we have been sharing. And what we have just been sharing is the revelation that was given to Paul for this church at Ephesus and how the Gentiles are, are engrafted into the body of Christ with the Jews. They are These two people groups are coming together and they're going to worship the Lord together. This has been a mystery. God uses Paul to reveal it to them. He knows their temptations in the flesh among people groups and the issue that they're going to have. He knows the, the things that they're going to stumble at in this possibly. And they need help. And as great a Christian and a leader as the Apostle Paul was for so many. What, it, what does he do in this? He prays. He gives the revelation that God gave him to give to them. And then he prays for them. We want to depend on self so much or think of what we can do to help so much. And sometimes it's just going to be prayer. I say just prayer. Look at me. I'm even falling for it. This is what this great Christian goes to. First and foremost, and that's what we should do. He prays for their ministry together. Paul didn't depend on anything in self to be able to help them. They had a mission to fulfill together in ministry to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him known to the world together now. And he took them to the Lord in prayer. And as he takes them to the Lord in prayer, you and I are going to be taught a lot about prayer as we look at this. We're invited to a privilege of spending time with our Father in communication with Him all the time. It's His desire to hear from us. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of time spent with him. And truth be told, we all may need more of it. More passion for it. There ought to be a passion for prayer in the life of every Christian. You know, there are different ministries. There are different callings. Not everyone is to do what someone else is doing. We're not all called to the same thing in many ways. But when it comes to children of God being prayer warriors, that's, that's every Christian. That's for every Christian to be a person of prayer to their God. We desperately need it. Ephesus desperately needed it. Paul if anyone knew about hardships and not many Christians have faced the hardships of Paul. But we know as we look at so many of these churches throughout the Bible that every one of them faced some hardships. And Paul knew that more hardships and more troubles, more tribulation was on the way for this church. So he prays for them. 
This is his prayer for them. The reason for this prayer is because Paul knew what would come over them, what would happen to them, the troubles that are typically faced in ministry that Paul saw, and he did not want them to not enjoy their Christian life as well. He wanted them to experience the joy of the Lord while they experienced the pains of life that they were going through. Now that's the reason for this this prayer. You know, the experience of problems in ministry as we minister together as a church, it should never influence us more than the power of Christ in ministry. That should always be first and foremost. And that's what Paul prayed for them. And Paul prayed because he believed prayer made a difference. Praying makes all the difference for us as children of God and what we go through. So we see the difference in prayer. But we're going to look at the disposition in prayer in verse 14. You might think I would call this the position in prayer, but we'll we'll see why it isn't later. Because he says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul prays for them. The prayer is made known to the church. The church knows that Paul's praying for them. They read Paul's prayer to them. And also the posture, the position of Paul in prayer is given to them. Okay, he has bowed his knees. Some might bow the knee in religious Ritual and it's meaningless. But I tell you what. I have been so moved. By seeing saints that are taken to their knees in prayer. Humbled before God for what they're going through. It's a it's a beautiful thing and it's not ritual. It is reverence for God when we bow the knee in prayer. That's a picture of humility before God. There was another picture that Ephesus had in this. Which I can't help but believe that is the reason why Paul included this. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 36. You find where Paul was with them or with some of them before. And, and when he was going off they didn't want him to go off into a dangerous territory. But he was determined to go. And he left and he went, but he bowed. He kneeled in prayer with them before he left. There's no doubt they remember that. And they were impacted by that. So they're thinking about that. They're picturing that. We can picture a lot of posture in prayer because the Bible makes note of it. Abraham stood before the Lord, the Bible says. David sat before the Lord. Jesus 
fell on his face before the Father right before he went to the cross. So we see postures in prayer. We, it's, it's noted in God's word. There's nothing wrong with being brought to our knees in prayer before God. There's nothing wrong with kneeling before God. I, I've known a man in, in church in the past who, who did that every time he was called on to pray. And some people looked at it like he was weird. But I, I knew what his heart was like. And it was, it, was, it was humility before God. And it was sincere. As I say that, it's, it's not about the position so much as the disposition. I mean, not everyone can get on their knee and pray. Not everyone can bow the knee. But we can in our heart. And everyone ought to bow in their heart in humility and reverence before God when we go to Him in prayer. It's what we always should do. It's not so much about the position, but the disposition. We're to be humble before God the way we approach Him in prayer. There's a division in prayer that we see here in verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Some people wouldn't say there's a division here. Some people would say I'm wrong right with my point on that verse. Because some say that, that by this verse everyone is a child of the Father God. And God is Father of everyone. The only problem with that is the Bible speaks of God being father and the Bible speaks of the devil being the father of some. Jesus himself said this. And so we have a problem with a wrong theology that's out there in this world that God is the father of all people. It is just simply not true. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean baptized. That means regenerated. That means to be saved, to believe in Jesus and to believe in Jesus is to be regenerated. It is to be born again. My preacher friend saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car as he went down the highway and it said, I don't need to be born again. I was born right the first time. He hit the pedal to, uh, to the metal and he chased him down, rolled down the window. He said, sir, you must be born again. Be sure that all must be born again in Jesus Christ. There are two lines of humanity and only one Consists of the children of God. Look at the direction of this prayer. In relation to that in verse 16. He says that he would grant you. 
Now, this is Paul, and he's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. He's not writing to the rejecters of Christ in the community of Ephesus here. He, he writes later for, you know, these Christians in this church to witness, to, to tell others about Christ that all may be saved. But he's writing to the church here. He's writing to the family of God as he has said those things. He loves the church. He's encouraging the church that the church would be edified. He's praying for the Lord's church. How often do we do that? I believe the answer for many would be very often. We ought to love the Lord's church and pray for the Lord's church just as, just as much as Paul did. A good prayer, not just on Sunday morning. I'm sure I'm sure we all do before service when we gather to see the great things that God's going to do in his house. But we should pray for the church always. We see the direction of Paul's prayer for the church. But then we go into the dimensions of his prayer in verses 16 through 19. It's really 16 through 21. But we're going to go through 19 tonight as we look at these dimensions. We get to the requests in this prayer now that Paul has made. The model prayer of Jesus is our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we are to exalt God and to lift him up when we pray. But then he, invite our, he invites our requests before him. And we're going to see some requests that Paul makes for this church. And I'll have to say they're quite a bit different than the requests that we make today. Don't get me wrong. We just had a time of prayer meeting and and we prayed for the health of people. We prayed for things in daily lives. But there is an order that we see that our prayers should be in as we look at these requests. We are taught of the most important focus when we make our requests to God. And first and foremost is not about the here and now. It's about the eternal. We do not have a request here in this prayer concerning money, concerning a mansion, or concerning health, or being spared from trouble. Not that we should never pray that way and request that. I, I believe concerning our health or maybe concerning our finances, something's wrong if we're not praying about those things. But these things are not to dominate our prayer life. There is the spiritual that should always come before the physical. Those things that are eternal should always be first and foremost and consume us more in prayer before the here and now. There are people that we dearly love. I, I know I can speak for myself in this, and I'm sure many of you that are on their deathbed, maybe. 
in their physical life. Yet they don't know Jesus. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I have a very close family member I, I, that I love very much. With a, with a very debilitating disease. And I don't pray much about the disease and this one being healed from it. But I pray a lot for their salvation. That they would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, pr I pray, Lord, if it's your will, it, you know if they need to stay around long. You know what time, you know the timing of it all. And if you grant a, a physical healing, Lord, I, I would request that only for the spiritual. Only that the spiritual deliverance from sin would come in their lives. And that they would be saved. Paul prays for several things for Ephesus here. And they're all spiritual. And they're all related to the eternal. And by the way, this made me go back in things that we shared before in the riches of Christ. Because we learned and we were told we were rich. And we are rich in Christ. And when we look to those eternal things... We're, we're going to be thinking about how rich we are in Christ. And it's good to think about how rich we are in Christ. But we are going to live rich in Christ if we look at these things that Paul prayed for and that we would pray for them in the lives of each and every one of us. Several things we see here for you and I to live rich. Not every Christian is living rich. There are Christians. They are saved. They are going to heaven. But they're not living rich here on this earth. I heard a story about a young man who ran away from home. And he was gone 18 years. And he was begging. And he walked up to a man. And he tapped on his shoulder. And he said sir can you spare a dime. And the man turned around. And that man saw that that was his son. Standing here before him. And he says. Are you kidding me? A dime. I'm your father. You can have it all. And you and I, we, we have it all. And we have it all now in Christ Jesus to know that we are rich. And not just to know that we are rich, but we are able to live rich. And we see these things here as we get to the requests. In this prayer, as we look at the dimensions of this prayer, we see that strength from above is requested. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. There's a spiritual power. That is given to you and I. And it comes from relationship with our Father. It comes from growing deeper and deeper in relationship with God. There's strength given to the inner man. Within you and I is where we need it. And that's where God gives it. He gives strength to the soul. The Bible says the outward man is perishing but the inner man is renewed day by day. When I'm on my way to church on Sundays, I see people and they've got quite a get up on from head to toe, whether they're riding bikes or they're jogging. 
And I don't know, maybe they're running pretty fast. Maybe they're going to get home and shower and go to church. I can't judge that. But, but at the thought that they're not, I just want to roll down my window and say, hey, you're getting the wrong exercise today. Because the outward man perishes. But it's the inner man who is strengthened and renewed daily. We're strengthened by the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit lives within the believer. And it's undeniable because when we're living in the will of God and when we're serving the Lord and we're doing it with a desire, that's a strength that is beyond our own. It's a strength that is given from heaven in the life of the child of God. And it's clearly made known to us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we go on to see and to experience the Spirit's work through our lives. We cannot live the Christian life in and of ourselves, but by way of the person of the Holy Spirit operating in us, we have a strength beyond our own. It's the same strength that was promised to the apostles. In Acts chapter 1, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And that's the same strength that you and I have today. As the angel declared the word of God in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the power that Paul prayed for for Ephesus. And that's the same power for you and I today. To be able to live the Christian life. It's a must that we walk in this strength. That's a good prayer request. That's a good prayer request to God. The Bible says that we know we have the petitions that we ask of Him. The Bible says to pray according to the will of God. Look, when we pray for these things in our life, in the here and now, we're never sure what the will of God is. But when we pray about these spiritual things, when we pray concerning these things that are eternal, we know we are praying according to the will of God. And that we have these things that we ask for. May we not ask amiss. May we not be without because we don't ask. We have these things. Strength from above. And then in verse 17, we see a dwelling within. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What a request that Paul gives. It's a spiritual request. So we know the Holy Spirit lives in the life. Of every believer. But there's this. There's this condition. That granddaddy used to say. The spirit feeling at home. You know. The spirit does not feel at home. In the life of every child of God. There is such a thing as the comforter. Being comfortable. In our lives. And when we. Obey him. And serve him. And we live for him. The Lord is pleased. And he is at home 
in our lives. That's the way the Christian life makes sense. That's the way it is to be. I've heard of beggars in certain cities throughout the United States. And they make a very good wage. They have very good earnings at the end of the year. They wake up in the morning and they put their rags on and mess up their hair. And they go out to the intersection with their hand out. But at night, they're living on the quality in this world as those who are giving them the money. It, it doesn't match up. It's two different things going on. And Paul prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts. And when he does, we're the same all the time. We're under the influence of the spirit and we are living in such a way that pleases God and the Holy Spirit's at home in our lives. There's strength from above. There's dwelling within and there's roots below. In verse 17, we not only see a dwelling here, but we see the word rooted. Nolan and I love nothing more than a beautiful tree. That's healthy. The bark's not falling off. It's, it's blooming. I love a healthy tree. I love to, to trim it. And, and, and it just looked just right. And a lot of credit. And a lot of attention. Is given to the blossoming. And the leaves. Of the tree. No attention is given to the roots. However. It's because of the roots. That the nourishment is coming to make the tree to be what it is. To make the tree to be healthy. It comes from roots. Paul is praying for their roots as children of God as they face these difficulties they go through. There must be a time, a lot of time spent with God. And the relationship developing before we blossom. We have, we're in such a hurry sometimes as a young child of God. I, I remember it in myself. I wanted to go, go, go. And I wanted to do for God. And we have to be careful in hindering that in any young Christian. But however, we don't want to get top heavy. We want those roots to develop. By relationship with the Lord. And let him bring about things in his timing. There are roots below that he makes a request for. There's a foundation below that he makes a request for. We see that also in verse 17. As he speaks of being grounded. Being rooted and being grounded. And this speaks of a foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. Many seem to go through a lot of struggle and a lot of wrestling in ministry. When what we must do is rest on this firm foundation that we have in Christ. I've seen Christians serve in spurts. You know, when, when a wayward child comes back, we go to kill the fatted calf and celebrate and praise the Lord. They're back and, and they're serving and doing great things. And then all of a sudden they may be gone again. Some serve in spurts and get a lot of attention for it. But it's 
It's the faithful steadiness that God's looking for in his children. That's what he's looking to produce in us. A constant steadiness in our lives. I just picture different churches that the church I was saved in, another church I pastored in, and I, I just I just picture the sidewalk of the faithful saints of God just every service, in and out, to come worship the Lord, to encourage the saints, to be changed by the word of God, to pray for the brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And it's a steady, faithful strength that they walk in. Paul prays for roots to be developed. And he prays that they stand on this firm foundation in Christ. A foundation below, then we look at a comprehension in hand. In verses 18 and 19. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Let me stop right there. I, I say this as a comprehension in hand, because this word itself, comprehension, it means possession. It means to grasp. It means to lay hold of. And it's speaking of the love of God. We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then, and then we're to lay hold of that which has laid hold of us. And we can study it all day and we can, we can talk about this, the original language of love and this agape love of God and the, how self-sacrificial it is and, and how that has been given to us. We've been loved with that love and we love with that now. And we could talk about it all day and we can learn about it a lot in God's word. But it's incomplete without the appropriating of this love. This is what Paul prays for them. As they have gone through the, the division that they've had. The way they have looked upon one another. As one maybe thinking they're better than another human being. That God created. That Christ died for. Oh if they would grasp that love of God. And be able to appropriate it in their lives. The greatness of this love. Paul gives four different measures in it. And he, he speaks of it and the, the breadth of it and the length of it and the depth and the height of it. Not that you and I can completely comprehend the love of God. We will never comprehend it all until we get to heaven. But we can grasp enough to fill our cup now to overflowing. That it might overflow into the lives of anyone and everyone that we would lay hold of this. We can learn about it, but we appropriate it by loving God and by loving others with that love that he has loved us with. It's an unconditional love and it's a continual love in our lives. We can't blame the poor behavior of another child of God for withholding love. 
We can't do it. We can't justify it. We can't use that as an excuse because that's not the way God loves. We can't make God love us anymore, but we can't make Him love us any less. And that's the love that He has loved us with. That we are to love others with. When there is a lack of love, we cannot point the finger or pass blame anywhere else. It's going to be an issue with us. It's going to be a problem with us. We're disobeying the Holy Spirit. When we don't love others continually and always. Just as God loves. We must appropriate it. It must flow from us the way it flowed from the heart of God to us. And it's a process and we learn. And that's the goal continually though. And we make no excuses for it otherwise. Paul wants them to have that love in, in, in their grasps. And to love with it. And he says that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. As far as the dimensions of this prayer in this portion, it's kind of like what he has said that is from a, from above when he is speaking of uh, comprehending this and uh, understanding this. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his inner man. So from above and the dwelling within and, and rooted be, below and grounded below and comprehension in other hand, uh, in their hands. What he's saying is he wants them to not be without everything that God wants them to have in this life. That's what that's his prayer for them. And it's in a spiritual sense. It's everything spiritually that they need. He doesn't want them to miss out on one single blessing or one single thing that God has provided for them to be able to live rich. It's all spiritually directed and it's all eternally directed for our lives. Verse 20 and 21, it may be next week, it may be another sermon on a different day in the future and we'll skip out over it possibly. And I don't know about all that, but as we close tonight and as... I've looked at the word of God and it has searched my heart. I ask you tonight, how is your prayer life? How is prayer for the church going with you? I hope well. How is our prioritizing of prayer going? To be thankful for these spiritual things that God has provided to be praying for them in the lives of others, to be praying that we would grow into the grasp of these things in our own lives, that we would praise God, go to him humbly with gratitude for the spiritual that is absolute and it's according to his will and it's given to us that we go there. Before we go to the here and now, the eternal is more important than the here and now. It's how we live rich.
It's how we will be lifted up when we don't know what God's will is for the here and now. Sometimes we know what his will is for the eternal. And we know we have those things that we've asked of him. How much does that help you and I as we consider all that we can look at? We see and we experience so much in the here and now. But look at all that God has done for us. That's absolute. That is certain. That is sure. May we pray concerning the spiritual before the physical, the eternal before today. And we know we're praying according to his will. Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer to Ephesus. What a great prayer to learn by. What a great prayer to be taught by. To adopt into our own lives. To have it shape our own prayers. Be safe going home. The weather is bad. I'm going to ask Brother Nolan Irvin if he'll close our Bible study in a word of prayer this evening.